The world is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity, but a new demonstration of Christianity. And that is, that is so powerful. You know, the world's not waiting on us to just know something new. They want to see something new. And so that's what we're going after uh, this whole month. If this is your first time here, um, my name is Allison Phillips. I am the lead pastor here at Legacy Nashville alongside my husband, Lyle, who is currently grieving the fact that he can't be here with us today, but he is in Brazil um, right now with, I know, it's so amazing. He sent me a video last night of him crowd surfing. I I should have put that up on the screen. He would have been so embarrassed and I would have loved it. It was awesome. Here's crowd surfing. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware, but Brazil is in full-blown revival. Like, full-blown revival. I've never seen anything like it. Um, it, Young people hungry for the presence of God. And uh, one of our church overseers and dear friends, Teofilo Hayashi, uh, has a ministry there um, that's reaching young people called Dunamis Movement. So if any of you have been um, aware of that, if not, jump on YouTube, see uh, what they're doing, what they're putting out. They have a huge heart for worship. Um, And they're just like, they're reaching their nation like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, How many of you have heard of The Send? Anyone? The Send. Um, Kind of the heart child of Andy Bird, birthed out of something that Lou Engel started called The Call. Um, And they did a send last year in Orlando, Florida, or actually this year in Orlando, Florida. And they commissioned uh, Teofilo to take the send to Brazil and do it this upcoming year in Brazil. And they are working on the third stadium. They have filled two stadiums. Already, I mean, have you ever heard of it? Okay, and then what's more mind-blowing is that they filled the first two stadiums in less than 24 hours. A hundred and like, I mean, it was like 180,000 or 120,000 people in less than 24 hours. So now they're on the third stadium because the event's not until February. So they're filling that one up as well. But there's something that's happening in Brazil and we just had to send Lyle to go be a part of it because it's something that we're going after here in this house is, hey God, what would it look like for a family to be laid down under Jesus and see the whole city saved and see the whole city set on fire for the presence of God? So that's what we're going after. Um, If you're new to this family, like, you know, it gets a little weird, but that's okay. <clears throat> and weird in the sense that we're just radical for Jesus. We just want the real Jesus, Him fully indwelling in us and reaching the city of Nashville. We don't want to be anointed bench warmers. We didn't show up just to, you know, play patty cake. You know, we showed up because we want God to do something through us. Amen. Amen. Well, that's our family. Um, We're in the middle of a series called Revival and Reformation. We felt the Lord spoke to to us about this pretty sovereignly in a a team night uh, last month. And it just something bubbled up. And this whole idea of revival and reformation, we just haven't been able to leave it. And so this morning I have the privilege of typing in my password and uh, speaking to you this second installment of this series and I feel completely unqualified to share today to be completely frank I feel a little bit overwhelmed because I feel like God is is actually pouring out something new in my life um, and is pouring out something new in the life of our church family and we're just still trying to kind of put our finger on it 
And so today we're gonna, we got a lot of scripture, so just roll with me. If you have your Bible, pull it out now. If you have your iPhone, pull that out as well. Um, but the, the scriptures are gonna be on the screen behind me, but I'm gonna stay super close to my notes today and try not to chase any rabbits because I have so many flipping notes today. So if you could, let's just pray. Let's just pray um, in, in whatever way you can engage with the presence of God, do it right now because the presence of God is here in this place. And I know so many of you need a touch from him and so many of us need transformation in our lives. So let's pray today, not just like a passive prayer. I'm not just up here entertaining you. We're engaging the presence of God together. So Jesus, we welcome you in this place. We know that you're already here, but sometimes it's good just to remind our soul that you're welcome. You're welcome to do whatever you want, however you want. In whatever way that you want, God, we just want you. We just want you. Revival and a reformation in our life. God, do something in us that sets us on fire in such a way that we cannot help but set everything on fire around us, God. We don't want to live simple, boring lives, God. We want to live full lives with you, Jesus. That's all we want, God. All we want is all of you, Jesus. All we want is all of you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, do it only you can do, which is wreck us, turn us upside down, turn us inside out. God, you are holy and you are full of love for us, God. So let your love do something inside of us so that we can fall in love with the people that you're already in love with. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to jump in Acts 1 first and then we're going to jump down into Acts 2. Acts 1 verse 4 through 5 says this, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John the Baptist, or for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Listen, Jesus tells us disciples to stay and wait for his promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit baptism. They obviously had no clue what that meant, um, but it probably piqued their interest. Jumping down into Acts 2, the first verse says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. I want you to remember that part. It rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Weird. And now... There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. It was a season where there was gathering from all over. Uh, the surrounding cities and nations were gathering together. <clears throat> and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished. This passage of scripture is one that you can kind of sit on for a while, but one of the things that I, I recognize from it is all of those that obeyed Jesus received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They each experienced fire. They each experienced a personal awakening, a personal revival from the inside out, unexplainable. You can't put your finger on it. Something just supernatural happened. 
And it wasn't just the leaders that experienced revival, it was everyone experienced revival. And as a result of this supernatural promise experience, revival spilled out onto the streets and reformation took place and every single nation represented heard the gospel in their own heart language. Doesn't that just sound like Jesus? I believe that we've all been created for kingdom lives. And oftentimes we express the kingdom as an upside down kingdom, right? You know, the first shall be last. If you want to be the, the greatest among all, you must become the servant to all. But today I want to describe the, the kingdom as an inside out kingdom. The kingdom is one that's stoked on the inside and bursts forth and brings revival to the outside. So that's what I'm going to talk about today from the inside out. And I really felt like the Lord put something on my heart and stirred. As soon as Lyle, um, we were in the car driving home after church last week, and I was like, I know what the Lord wants for me to share next week. And he was like, what is that? And it's probably because I'm deeply relational and deeply personal. So I was like, I think the Lord wants me to share on personal revival. It's so easy for us to hear revival messages and say, good, I'll just jump in when it happens. The problem with that is if you have a mindset like that, it will never happen. Because revival doesn't start in a group, it starts in the individual. It's, I love the passage of scripture. They were all together, but the tongues of fire rested on each one of them, not just, it came and then it, it split and it rested on each one of them. And we have to remember that God is, is so hungry for your life to be set on fire because he left earth so that you could be an encounter for somebody else. Otherwise, we, none of us would be here, right? Jesus came, he died on the cross. We all would just be up in heaven with him if this wasn't the point of it all, is that he wants to use you to stomp on the head of Satan, bring revival and reformation to every area of life that you have access to and every area that you want access to. God has a plan to bring revival through your life. But unless you understand that it starts with me, then nothing's going to change and nothing's actually going to happen. For the last 10 years or so of my life, I've been consumed and obsessed with the question I ask myself often, what could my life look like if I am completely consumed by God? Completely consumed by God. I grew up a Christian, so I had the privilege of being raised in a spirit-filled Christian home. I understood the necessity of the miraculous. I saw the first miracle through my own life at four years old. I had a really good friend who had warts and he was six and was really afraid to go get them removed. And I was like, well, I've my mom told me like you can pray and like things happen. And, and I prayed and you know, as a kid, I didn't think that it wouldn't happen. And it just happened. And so I grew up in this in- environment, in this atmosphere where the supernatural is normal. I remember my dad, uh, when I was young, his grandmother passed away. And I remember looking at him in my living room. I still remember the exact spot I was sitting. I looked at him and I was like, but dad, if we prayed for her with enough faith, could she be raised from the dead? And I mean, she was already buried in the ground, okay? So we had already been through the whole funeral. And you know, my dad said something so important to me. He looked me in the eyes and he said, yeah, totally, she could be. And that's something, it just set my heart in this place, like God can do anything, right? God can do anything. And that's the privilege that we have as parents, leaders, whether that's in school, business, in the home, we have the ability to frame the way that our kids, our our friends, our coworkers think about God 
and not frame it around our experience, but frame it around the truth of who he says that he is. And so for so long, for really the last 10 years of my life, I've been consumed by this thought. And in 2008, I, I read this strange book called When Heaven Invades Earth. And it's uh, by Pastor Bill Johnson out in Redding, California. And I read the book and I was totally, I, I, I didn't believe most of it, to be completely frank, despite the fact that I had grown up in this very um, open um, church environment. But I got to this story and he tells this story about when God really met him. And he tells this testimony a lot, but basically uh, the Holy Spirit um, came to him in the middle of the night and literally like for three days he was stuck in bed. And he, he describes it as if he was being electrocuted for three days and he laid in bed and he just told the Lord like, God, I don't even know how to function anymore, but if I'm never the same, if I can't walk, if I can't talk, I don't even care. I just want you. I just want more of this and more of you. But, you know, the Lord was gracious and let him get up again. And, uh, and now he has the privilege of speaking. And he, he wrote this book. And I remember coming to that, po- that part and I recognized, God, I need an experience like that. Like I've seen the real you happen through the lives of other people. And I've actually seen the real you happen through my own hands. However, I need one of those set me on fire experiences because I know what I'm called to and I can't do it with the fire that I have currently because I don't have the motivation to love people the way that you have for me to love them and to reach them. And I remember over the next two years, just having these wild experiences, and I won't even go into the experience that I had um, previous to leaving high school, um, going into college, but I had a powerful experience with the presence of God. And after that experience, I don't know if you've ever had an experience with the raw, tangible presence of God, but you pretty much feel like an alien walking around. Everybody at my school, and listen, I went to a Christian private school. Everyone was like, there's the Jesus girl. There's the Jesus girl. I was known as the Jesus girl at the Christian private school that I went to because God had done something so profound in my life. And as I stepped out into college, I was seeing, um, you know, kids on my campus get saved. And I was praying for my roommates to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was just weird. And we were having fun. And, but there was something that happened because like the day before the encounter, the power encounter that I had with God, you know, I had a measure of motivation to reach the lost. And I had a measure of motivation to love because I had been instructed well and I, had, I knew truth. But you, you can have all the truth in the world and still have no motivation because you have to have the presence of the Holy Spirit to light on fire what God has for your life and in your life. Otherwise, it's just gonna stay dormant, you know, as a great idea and, you know, never go into practice. So Jesus told the disciples to wait and look for his promise of revival. And his promise was a great move of God. And we've all had the experience. We've met Jesus. And if you're in this room and you haven't met Jesus yet, just wait. Um, You're gonna. But we've been filled by the hope of him encountering us and the world around him. But how hard it is to wait on God Jesus fulfilled his promise in 10 days, but he never told them how long it was going to take. And that part annoys the snot out of me. 
Okay, so in in 1 Corinthians 15 and 6, we'll read this. It says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Um, And that was a testimony of Jesus in his ministry after he resurrected, the the record of him encountering over 500 people um, post-resurrection. And, but there were only 120 in the room, in the upper room, right? I have to imagine that the majority of them in the waiting time, despite the fact that they saw the literal resurrected Messiah face to face, got tired of waiting those 10 days. How many people were in the, like, this is the question I asked myself. How many people were in the upper room at day one? Have you ever thought about that question? Jesus encountered so many people that probably weren't even recorded in scripture, and yet there were only 120 in the upper room. How many were there on day one? I mean, I can say I'd be there on day one. Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, comes to me, and he's like, I'm going to just wait. I'm going to do something great. I'm going to send something better than me. I'm like, I'm there. You know, I'm like, what's better than Jesus? But... I find myself and I find so many of us in the waiting period abandoning, abandoning God or the words of God over our life. And, you know, for 10 days, it was basic, ra- basically radio silence. Like that's, I, I told Lyle, I was like, that's like the equivalent of you deciding to go to an unreached people group in the middle of a remote village that we know nothing about. And you literally leave and you tell me, I'll see you when I see you. I'll see you when I see you. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'd be there like, I'd be waiting for you day one, but like day 10 came around, I'd be like fuming, right? I'd be so angry and so upset. I'm like, where is my husband? Where the heck did he go? I don't have any way to reach him. He told me just to wait for him. He's doing something great and something amazing is gonna happen. But I, I don't even fault, you know, the people for not staying because I don't, I don't know if I would have stayed. I I mean, you wait those days and expecting something great, but nothing shows up. But the true moments of transformation in the kingdom are often like this. And everything in the kingdom hinges on trust. Our trust that God is good and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. So if we're going to experience revival or see revival, share revival, experience reformation, we're going to have to wait and be willing to wait on him to see what he's going to do and be willing to wait on him to fulfill the promises that he's spoken to you in your life and over your life. And I believe that God has placed each of you in the season that you're in for a reason. Some of you are like frustrated where you're at right now. You're mad. You're like, God, I've been waiting for a really long time and I don't see you coming through for me. God, I've been waiting for you to do something great in my life and I haven't seen a single thing come to pass. And you know, it, let's take a page from this, the Holy Scripture and just wait a little while. And that's one of the things that I've noticed about us as modern, Western, Christian followers of Jesus is that we hate to wait. We hate to wait. We feel like we feel as if waiting is like Satan. Like, that, like the enemy's doing something. Anyone else? Yeah, ever felt like that? You're like praying away Satan when you have to wait a little while? Uh, I've done it before. 
But like you have to be careful because sometimes God's using the waiting to develop your character enough to hold the thing that he wants to send into your life. And if we rush through the process and we rush through the waiting or we just abandon and we jump ship before God ever releases the promises over our life, then we're not actually gonna see the fulfillment of the promise of God over our life that we so desperately want to see. So often we think we can get the promises of God without waiting on God or without waiting with God. And that's just not the truth. You just have, if it's, if it's without him, it's not him. Listen, God's trying to break out in your everyday life and spill out into the lives of those around you. Will you be obedient to his word in your life? Will you lean in to his promises even if it demands the waiting? Will you stay even if it costs you something? Listen, God's so faithful and he can't lie. That's one thing we forget. God can't lie. When he speaks something to you, it's truth upon truth upon truth. It's layered. It's backed up. He sees beginning from end. He understands the whole thing. And so often I hear God or hear people say, oh, if God wants to encounter me or do something new in my life, he'll just do it. Like sovereign move of God. But to be honest, having a mindset that God's just going to sovereignly show up in your life without you having to do any of the work is actually like an immature mindset. I never saw any of the disciples live in that way. They all counted the cost. They all laid something down. They all waited a little while. They all gave their whole life, but they got all of Jesus in return. And the entire world was flipped upside down because of their participation in the work of the gospel. You know, if God wants to encounter you, yes, he can and he, and he will. That's also truth, but it's a truth intention. Sometimes it takes intentionality and stepping out and waiting a little while and going a little deeper and praying a little longer even when you don't want to. I've gone through seasons of my life where I've given up on prayer because I'm like, God, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. God, you didn't do it in the way that I wanted. You didn't do it in the time that I wanted. But God's not a man and he can't lie. And he might not fulfill the promise in your timing, but he's always faithful to fulfill fulfill promises in your life but sometimes we just jump out of the boat and we're like okay I can't go on this journey anymore it's just too hard but obedience looks like actively waiting on God to do what he said and the the 120 in the upper room are my total heroes because they there might have been 500 600 700 to start but those are the ones that just kept waiting you know the ones that stuck it out and they're like God you said something and I'm gonna stay for me, I want to be one of the 120. I want to be one of the 120. It's like that story of Gideon's army. God is so good at whittling out the people who aren't serious about it. What does it take for you not to show up to church on a Sunday? Or what does it take for you not to engage the presence of God every day? What's the, what's the measure of distraction that it takes we have to be people who are so devoted to seeing the real God and seeing the real Jesus that we won't let the simple things distract us from being a part of his family and being a part of his presence. But I want to be one of the 120 that stuck it out for those 10 days. You know, and so this was their experience. They waited on God and they waited eagerly in prayer. And this was their experience. They heard a sound and I think that's kind of the season that we're in right now, to be honest, as a church family. We're hearing the sound. For a long time, we've heard 
and been hearing about revival. But to be honest, I'm ready to move past the sound and I want to see and experience revival. And, you know, we can get stuck in a season that's like, I hear about revival, I hear about revival, I hear about revival. But until you take personal responsibility that, God, you're going to, I need you to do a personal revival in my own life, then the revival that God has isn't ever going to break out into a corporate setting. The 120, they waited and they heard a sound and then something appeared. Appeared tongues like fire. Basically like this, I don't know if they saw it with their eyes or if they were all in like a trance. I don't know how weird it got in the upper room. It was probably like hot and sweaty and they might be hungry. I don't know if they were fasting, you know, but something happened and, and something appeared. And that's what I want to see. I want something to appear in our lives. And, and eventually once they saw it, the people received the promise and they had supernatural experiences. And this is where like the church gets in trouble sometimes talking about this kind of stuff. But you cannot read the Bible without understanding that it's a supernatural, like very mystical book and experience throughout the whole. If you want to walk a real Christian life, you have to expect that there are going to be odd things that happen in your life and through your life if you're following the mystical man, Jesus. There's just stuff that happens. Stuff breaks out. I've seen the weirdest things, and I've been like, that's not God. And then I see, to- like, fruit from it, and I'm like, whatever. I don't even understand it. <laughs> I don't even understand it. And for me, I'm like, God, we just want all of you. I don't care if it's weird. I don't care if it's still. I don't care if it's quiet. I don't care if it's loud. I don't care if it's fire. I don't care if it's everybody out on the ground. I don't, I, if it's trances or if it's us sharing finances. I don't care what it is. But I want the real, real God to break forth in our church community and, and in our city. But it has to start with this personal understanding that, hey, although there were 120 gathered in the upper room, everyone got their fire. Everyone experienced the presence of God. And as a result, every nation heard the gospel in their own native heart language. And this is the byproduct of revival. It's not revival unless the city is changed. Like this is something that I've been wrestling through in my own like heart in life that revival doesn't stay in the church. It's never meant to stay here. And, and we see a perfect picture of that in scripture. Revival starts in the heart of believers who are poised and postured to go after God, the real God, and let him change you and let him change your mind and let him change the way you think, the way you do life and the way you do whatever. But it's not meant to stay with you. It's meant to rush out into the streets and change the world. And that's why we titled this whole sermon series, Revival and Reformation, because you can't have one without the other. You can't have true reformation without kingdom revival. True reformation only happens through the hand of the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ, because he understands what is truth, what is justice, what is right, what is wrong, and our lives set on fire for him can love the world back into wholeness. But you have to understand that revival without reformation is no revival at all. And I've never seen or experienced, and I've read about so many revivals in my lifetime. Like the last 10 years, the first three years of that, I spent only reading books on revival and (laughs) revival history because I was consumed with the idea, what starts revival? What starts revival? And Lyle touched on it last week. There's never been a revival that I've read of in, we call it like revival history, that wasn't started with one, usually woman, 
at times a man, praying somewhere in a building for years. For years. For years, people gathered in small upper rooms praying. God, I don't know how long it's going to take, but we have to see a move of God. God, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'm going to show up even when I don't want to. And I'm going to pray because I know that our city needs it. And there's no revival that you can trace back in, the, in any revival history, including the upper room. You can't, it all starts in prayer in this, this posture of people, someone saying, I'm going to take personal responsibility for my city. And I'm going to get with my friends. I'm going to get in church on Sunday. I'm going to get with my small group and I'm going to go after the presence of God. Listen, changed people change people. That's one of my favorite things to say. It's, I mean, you can say hurt people hurt people, and that's true, but also changed people change people. Once you've been encountered, you become an encounter, and personal revival always precedes corporate revival. Before you have corporate revival, you have to experience personal revival. If you think that you're going to get to participate in the great move of God on the sidelines, that you are believing a lie. There's no such thing as sidelines in revival. It's big and it's messy and it's all consuming. And there's something about it that like you just can't help but be caught up in it. There's no such thing as sidelines Christianity when a move of God really comes. But God has designed us as believers to be like what I call multiplicative. It's like from every human is the ability to create another human, which is so weird. <laughs> I love it. It's very, uh, it's very strange that God did it. But the way he designed the family was to be a prophetic picture of your life in him, right? The families, the whole idea of family is that you could, you know, take dominion of the earth. They say subdue, multiply, take dominion of the earth. And there's something about the life of a believer that when God came and Jesus, he died on the cross and he, he resurrected and he set everything right again, he gave us a new level of multiplicate, multiplicative power, basically. So he's like, with me and with the Holy Spirit, you can do the same thing that you could do within the context of a family, but now you can do it for the kingdom. So your life within you is the ability to see hundreds, thousands of people set on fire for God. There's just this whole thing like, okay, my life counts for more than just my life, right? God deposits, deposits inside of us everything we need to make a difference, but we have to purpose ourselves to live inside out lives in order to see the earth transformed. We can't be so consumed with the inside that we never move to the outside. And that's a temptation for so many people to, to actually go on an internal journey and it never comes back to the outside. And I, I'm all for like understanding yourself and like learning on a journey of like self-discovery. Uh, I think it's beautiful. Um, and I think it's necessary with, with Jesus, but what can be a real temptation is that you go inside and get all the healing and then like, you never share any of the healing. You like never share any of it with anybody. You just like you and your spouse, you're like enjoying a great marriage, but like nobody comes over to your house and enjoys the fruit of like your wonderful marriage and nobody enjoys the fruit of like your life laid down to Jesus. And we have to think bigger than that. We have to be a church that thinks bigger than what is happening on the inside of me. It's the understanding that if it doesn't happen inside of you, then it won't happen inside of somebody else. 
and getting so obsessed with the fact that my breakthrough is not just for me. It's for somebody else. So we have to make revival personal. Each and every person has to become a carrier of revival. We're not waiting on the next great move of God. You are the next great move of God. And I love that thought. Like you are the great next great move of God. Personal revival is simply the awakening of the heart to Jesus. It's like some people say, um, that's when I really got saved. You ever heard somebody say that? Like, that's when I really got saved. <clears throat> I've had that experience. I was saved, and then I really got saved. Or I felt like something got awakened on the inside of me. I can't even put my finger on it, but something just got awakened. That's personal revival. That's when somebody said, I don't know what happened, but something shifted. And now no longer is my life just meant for me. It's meant for other people. And those are, the, they get weird. You know, it's like you get saved and then you really get saved. And you're like in the front and you're like at the, you know, you're laying down right here and you're jumping over there and you're taking laps during the sermon. And, uh, you know, you're like, I don't know, but God, everything you're doing is amazing. And I just want to be a part of it. But however you communicate it, just know that there's something inside of your knower. Like, it's like your spirit, your knower. Like, I've been touched by God. And if you haven't had that experience, this is the season to go after it. Because I cannot stress enough, without a personal encounter with the real Jesus Christ, corporate revival is impossible. I, we can sit in a room and we can pray and we can pray and we can pray. But if nobody postures themselves to really go after the real God, we're all just, we're just here praying. And I love it because God's sovereign. Yes, he'll, you know, he'll, he does what he does in moments. He does what he does in moments, but it will never be sustained. Because God, I've seen it happen so, so sovereignly. God do something in a moment for a moment. But re true revival is sustained and it goes from generation to generation, and it really changes the way that life happens. How do we become carriers of personal revival? The first thing is this. You got to be patient and obey Jesus. <laughs> Listen, the people that obeyed Jesus went and stayed where he had told them to go. Stay on his timeline. Stay in church. God will move. He will move, but he probably won't move when you demand or desire it because God is God and he moves when he moves. <laughs> and like I said, he knows beginning from the end and he's so good at doing something out of your time frame and in perfect timing for what he's doing across the globe as a whole. And that's who God is. He's a multi-generational God. He sees the whole earth. We see this city. You know, we're like praying, God, give us strategy for more cities. But right now I'm like, God, give me the best strategy for this city. But God doesn't, he doesn't look like that, right? God sees everything, how it's happening in current time and then how everything will be affected from beginning to end, which is why he rarely moves in the timing that you have set out for him. And in fact, I find it so often that we abandon the presence of God because he didn't do it when, he, when we told him he should do it. And like, I just, I'm tired of it. Like, we're better than that. Like, we're just better than that. Like, we're, we are people who are fully in love with the real Jesus Christ. And if he doesn't do it on my time frame, who cares? 
I just want to, I just like, I want to be like a part of it in whatever way, even if it's me on my last day on my deathbed or me getting to be in the great cloud of witnesses. I want to know that I sowed into something for generation upon generation upon generation, but you have to stop thinking God's not doing something because he's not doing something for me right now. Part two of becoming a carrier of personal revival is refuse to be an onlooker. Take this statement. If it is to be, it is up to me. We all have a part to play. We all have a fire to carry. Until I carried my own personal fire, I wasn't effective. You know, I could be in it and I loved it, but I wasn't effective. I knew about things, but I had no impact in my personal or through my personal life. Listen, my temperament is to be an onlooker. I'm telling you full on without any shame. I like, I always say my happiest place in this room would be like in the back with the production crew because they're amazing. And I'd love to like boss everybody around from the back of the room. And I love to observe what God is doing. That is my, like, that's my temperament. But the Lord has been challenging me and saying, "Uh uh-uh, no, there's more for you. You have to refuse to be an onlooker. You have to be a participant. You have to get both of those feet in in it, right? You have to say, okay, God, if you're doing something, if you are doing something in my university or if you're doing something on my job site, let me be the catalyst. And I started praying this this prayer um, basically like, God, let me be the sacrifice that you consume wherever I go. Just this picture, God, if I have to be the one that climbs on the altar to let the fire of God fall, I don't care. I'll climb on the altar, I'll sacrifice my whole life, but I cannot live life without your fire. I cannot live life without the realness of who you are. I cannot live life halfway up the mountain. I can't. It's just, I've seen too much. I've seen too much brokenness. I've seen too much hurt and pain to live halfway up the mountain. I have to have the full fire of God working through my life. And so I'm like, God, if here on Sunday mornings, this is what I'm praying right here in the front. God, let me be the sacrifice so that the whole room can experience fire. God, let me be the sacrifice so the whole room can experience fire. I don't care what I have to get up, give up. I don't care what I have to look like. I'll look dumb as heck. I don't care. Just let me be the sacrifice so that the whole room can experience the fire. And we have to posture ourselves wherever we are, whatever our job is, whatever our family looks like. God, let me be the sacrifice. Climbing on the altar laying my whole life down. I don't care. I just want the fire of God to fall in this place. And I know that, you know, whatever it costs me is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Point three on how to become a carrier of personal revival. And the final point is this. You got to let it overflow. The rule to revival is you got to let it overflow. That's the rule. You can't keep it to yourself. That's rude. Don't keep it to yourself. If God's doing something in your life, tell me about it. I want to hear about it. If God's doing something in your life, share it with a coworker. Share it with a friend. Share a testimony. We want to hear about it here. Like if God's doing something supernatural through your life and he's doing something on your, on your job or in your home or in your family, I want to hear about it. Because what God does in your life stokes fire for our corporate life, right? You have to understand that your life is an overflow. When you meet God, your motive shifts. Revival is seeing things you've never seen before through your life and doing things you've never done before. God longs to give everyone this experience. Every person on the planet, he longs to give this experience, but it will cost you something. And oftentimes you have to count the cost. And sometimes the cost looks like loneliness, 
rejection, persecution, my personal favorite, misunderstanding. And I love this passage in 2 Samuel 6. David is dancing wildly and nakedly. And his wife runs out and just like starts throwing shade at him. And this is David's response. And I love this. He says, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. My dancing was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from this house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Listen, you have to possess a heart like David. I will become even more undignified than this. You think I'm weird now? I will become even more undignified than this. You misunderstood my heart. I don't care. I will become even more undignified than this before the presence of God. You're going to leave me? I don't care. I'll become even more undignified than this. It wasn't you who chose me. It was the Lord who chose me. And as long as he chooses me, I can do anything. And as long as the Lord chooses you, you can do anything. With God, anything is possible. But you have to remember, this is God's promise over your life too. There are things you have to step into and things you have to wait on. But the reality, this is God's promise over your life. He is waiting to break out in your life and through your life. He is waiting to break out in your life and through your life. And God is ready to pour out on this family like never before. I truly believe it. His goodness hasn't run out to this generation despite what the news might try to tell you, despite what politics might try to tell you, despite what church haters might try to tell you. The goodness of God has not run out to this generation. He has a plan to show himself good and show himself strong to his people and through his people. But you have got to get on the bus. You can't be an onlooker and say, I hope it happens around me. Maybe it will happen through me. You have to get in the game. You have to posture yourself to wait in the presence of God. Don't wait for your favorite song. Listen, that is a pet peeve of mine. Don't wait for your favorite song. That drives me nuts. I'm like up here going nuts and you guys are like, this isn't Oceans or like this isn't, I don't know what the current favorite one is, like Waymaker. This isn't Waymaker. I'd go nuts if it was Waymaker. Listen, that's not who we are. We are people who go into the presence of God. I don't care what's happening in my life. I don't care what's going on around me. I'm going straight to the presence of God, not just because I need it, because I need it, but because the world around me is desperate for it. And I refuse to be a generation that stops with the sound of revival. I have to see revival through my life. I have to see it, God. I don't wanna be somebody who waits on the sidelines. Let's stand, I'm gonna read a final verse of scripture and then we're gonna, we're gonna go after the presence of God. I just, we can't not. And you might not know this song, but that's okay. You just go after God like, like you do. But Romans 8, 18 through 19 says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's us. From the inside of us, a deep calls to a deep. I can't even express it or explain it. There's something deep inside of you that's calling to something deep somewhere else. 
and you must respond to it. There's a longing to set the world on fire with the great love of Jesus Christ that's burning on the inside of us. And you're in personal revival when your home becomes the presence of God and you feel like an alien anywhere else. That's how you know you've had a personal revival. Listen, a revival is a good idea, but it's a way better experience. It's a way better experience. I don't, like, I, that's why I'm like, I feel totally unqualified to talk about this thing. I don't want it to be a good idea for you. I want it to be an experience for you. God is faithful to encounter you. And if you've believed a lie that God doesn't want to encounter you because you've screwed up or you've messed up, and God doesn't want to actually encounter you face to face because you're not, you know, living for Him in the way that you know that you should be. Let me be the, the pastor today and tell you that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Jesus is way bigger than your sin. And like, He wants to just know you. If I like told my kids every time they messed up that they couldn't come hang out with me, how terrible of a parent would you think that I was? But so often we put that on God. We're like, uh, he doesn't want to encounter me because like, I don't really like spending quiet time with him. Like that's kind of boring for me. Uh, yeah, like that's totally not true. That's a bad mindset that you have. That's okay, that can change. But it doesn't change who he is, which is a God who wants to encounter you and wants to birth a new fire through you. So if we could this morning, I, I mean, I guess I should do this. It, with every eye closed, if you're in this room and you know that you're far from God, you know. You know that you need a personal revival. You know that you need God to touch you for real, for real again, or you've never met him before in your life without even thinking, just with your heart. Could you lift your hand for me right now? I feel like God's doing something special. Come on, I see you. God's, God's doing something, I see you. God's gonna do something special in your life today. He's encountering you now. And let's, family, let's pray. Before we worship, let's pray all together. Let's say, Jesus, I repent. God, I give you my heart. I invite your Holy Spirit to encounter me. For all of my days, I'm yours. Every bit of me belongs to you, Jesus. And now every person in the room, let's lift our hands right now. The presence of God is here and we're not gonna be onlookers. We, uh, we refuse to be onlookers and we're gonna worship right now in spirit and in truth. God, you can do anything. God, you take the most broken places and you turn it into worship, God. So we turn every bit of our life into worship, God. You open the heavens, you pour out without measure, God. Only you can do it.